Welcome to Anil Arana Live. Recorded live during his missions around the world, these podcasts feature audio sermons and reflections from internationally renowned preacher and retreat leader Anil Arana. For more audio podcasts, video sermons, and articles, please visit www.hsiweb.org or www.anilarana.com. Last week, I started a new series about the return of our King, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how when he returns, there is going to be a judgment, followed by the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth. And in this new heaven and new earth, God would sit on his throne, except his throne would be in the midst of his people. He would wipe away every tear. There would be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more mourning, no more death, no more pain. There would be only rivers of life to be enjoyed by those who were victorious. We also learned that not everyone is going to be victorious. There are going to be the cowardly, there are going to be the murderers, there are going to be the sexually immoral, there are going to be those who are prideful, those who are deceitful, those who are filled with sin or are going to be denied this new heaven and new earth. What they are going to receive is a second death. Nobody over here is going to be those in this list, not if I can help it. So what I'm going to talk about here tonight is going to be an expansion on this theme. But let me just take you back to something that we learned last week. And I want to talk about one thing in particular, but first let me read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Are you ready for the word of God? Yes. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Say hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Say love you, Jesus. Say, I am ready, Jesus, to be scolded, to be chastised, to be rebuked, if necessary, because I know that you want to see me home, and I want to go there too. So be with me now, Lord, as I hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you ready? 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. Peter warns, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And here we find three things happening. Three things that describe the second coming of Jesus. One, it will come like a thief in the night, which means it will be sudden. The heavens will disappear like a roar, which means it will be spectacular. And the third thing that will happen is everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be exposed. God's judgment will be severe. Nobody talks about judgment these days. Nobody talks about hell these days. And we do not listen to talks about hell and judgment at our own peril. Because these are realities of the faith that we believe in. 
And then Peter continues, as I continue, in view of this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he gives us the answer. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And here we have three things. One, you ought to live holy and godly lives, which is an invitation to holiness. Say holiness. Holiness. As you look forward to the day of God, which means that we have hope in our hearts. Say hope. hope. And the third thing we need is to speed its coming, which means we need to make haste. Now what I'm going to talk about is holiness. I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about that next week. And truly I believe the insights that you receive are going to change the way you look at God. And when you look at God differently, you're going to look at yourself differently. You're going to look at the world differently. And everything within you, I'm promising you today, is going to be turned inside out. Now in his first letter, this was Peter's second letter, in his first letter, God says, be holy as I am holy. Say, be holy holy. as I am holy. Now this is not a commission given only to people in the new covenant. It was given to the people of Israel years and years ago after they'd been delivered from bondage. You will find this in Leviticus 11.44. God says the same words, be holy as I am holy. But this is not a commission given only to the Israelites. It was a commission given to Adam and Eve, first man and woman. When God created them, he made them in his own image and likeness. And what is the image and likeness of God except holiness? Every one of us is asked to be holy because when we are holy, we reflect the glory of God. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city cannot be hidden. Neither does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so it brings light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds be seen among men so that they will praise your Father who is in heaven. Let our light be seen. You look at the newspapers today and what is being seen? Only what the bad people are doing. What about what the good people do? What about what you people do? Why is that not being seen? Or is it because you're hiding it and keeping it to yourselves? Don't do that, not anymore. And when you do it, remember the reason you do it is not that people will praise you, but that they will praise your Father who is in heaven. But where do you get this light from? None of us can shine light on our own, can we? The only light we can get is the light that is reflected of Christ who says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness, but will live in the light. Whoever follows Jesus starts to live this light, starts to be this light because they reflect the light that is God's. What light is this? This is the light of holiness. And you know something? It struck me very severely the last month. 
is that many of us, even those of us who say they know God, don't really understand the holiness of God. And today, my brothers and my sisters, I am going to introduce you to the holiness of God. And you know what? It is going to frighten the daylights out of you. Which is not a bad thing. Because once in a way we need a scare. And today I'm telling you the scare you're going to get is the best scare you will ever get. Because truly, truly, truly I'm telling you, it will change you. There was a young boy here. Today he's come with his notebook. Because he had an experience of God last week. An experience that I want everyone to have. Everyone. Including the babies sitting in this room. But for that I need to take you to the word of God. And I want you to listen to one of the most powerful passages in scripture. This is from the prophet Isaiah. And this is truly what changed me. And this is what has inspired this entire series of talks. Are you listening? In the year that King Uzziah died, this is not on the screen and I've deliberately not put it there because I want you to look at me and I want you to listen to what I say. The prophet Isaiah is describing a vision that he had and it is a vision that changed Isaiah forever. This prophet's vision changed me forever. And if you truly understand what I teach you now, it is going to change you forever. This is what makes scripture so powerful. So listen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man with unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. May not sound very great to you, but listen to what God has to teach you now. The prophet Isaiah sees God on his throne. There are seraphim around the throne, seraphim with six wings. And with one set of wings, they cover their eyes. With another set of wings, they cover their feet. 
Why do they cover their eyes? Because no one can see the face of God. And these are divine creatures, mind you. One day Moses wanted to see the face of God. He was having this conversation with God. God was telling him to do something and Moses said, I will do whatever you ask me to do if you come with me. And God said, I will come with you. And then Moses said, let me see your face. And God says, no way, Jose. Nobody can look on my face and live. But he said, I'll tell you, Moses, what you can do. You stay behind this rock. And as I pass, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. And as Moses stood behind the rock, God passed by. And as he passed by, he stretches out a hand and covers the eyes of Moses. And as he passes by, he removes his hand. And Moses turns and sees the back of God. And then he comes down from the mountain where he has this experience with God. And scripture says nobody could look upon his face because he's shone with great glory. Can you imagine what would have happened if Moses had actually seen the face of God, not just his back? I want you to think about these things because we sing in our songs, I wish I could see your face, God. I wish I could look upon you, Jesus. I want you to understand who God is. And if you look upon his face, you are dead. But yet we're alive. I'm going to talk about all of this, but I really want us to understand this. And then we see them covering their feet. Another story about Moses, you'll find this in Exodus 3. The other one you'll find in Exodus 33. Moses is tending to his flock and he sees something burning on the mountain. You know the story, right? Now I want you to think about this story because just this insight is going to change the way you look at God. So he approaches this bush that is burning and when he comes closer, he sees even though the bush is burning, it's not really on fire. And then he hears the voice of God, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you stand on is holy ground. And Moses approaches the burning bush where God is. And you know what scripture says after that? Moses is afraid. Now there is one thing I want you to think about now, okay? Imagine you're Moses for a moment. Just one moment now. Imagine you're Moses. There is a bush burning over here. You know that you are in the presence of a holy God. What are you going to feel? Awe, wonder, excitement, trepidation, fear. A whole range of emotions are going to sweep across you because you are standing in the presence of God on holy ground. Yes, no, maybe. Now you know what scripture says. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. 
Which means what? God is here. Which means what? It means this is holy ground. And yet do you act like as if this is holy ground? When is the last time any of you were afraid of God? And I ask you this seriously because we're told God is not somebody to be afraid of. That God is our friend. That God is somebody who's going to excuse anything that you do. No matter how many times you do it. When is the last time you were afraid of God? I'm going to come back to this in a minute. And then the angels sing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. We find the same thing in Revelations where the words are a little different. The angels sing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Nowhere in the Bible is any term for God used three times in a row. We don't hear of God saying God is love, love, love. Do you? You don't hear of anything saying God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Do you? But here we find it said that God is holy, holy, holy. Who is God really? You've all done your catechism. So you know what they taught you in catechism. God is omnipotent. What does that mean? God is all-powerful. God is omniscient. What does that mean? God is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That God is always present, everywhere present. But even though that is God, you know what really makes God God? His holiness. That He is holy, holy, holy. Say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Almighty, and He is here in this midst. We worship. What was that? We sing to God. What was that? We sing like as if God is somewhere else, but if what you just heard is true, then God is here now in our midst. So when you worship someone who's right there in your presence, you want him to know that you worship him, don't you? So when you sing, how does that singing come? It comes from the depth of your heart. And if you realize this truth, what is going to happen is wherever you go now, when you step into that church for mass, for instance, you'll know that that is holy ground, really holy ground. And everything that you do the moment you step through that door will reflect the holiness of God. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? That is how the holiness changes you. Now, I want to give you two terms, okay? Now, I was thinking whether to teach you these or not. But these are important. One is a theophany. Say theophany. Theophany is the visible manifestation of God. Everybody with me when you see God. Now there is something else called hierophany. Say hierophany. Hierophany is what happens to you after you've experienced God. And now I return to this young boy here. How old are you? Uh, eight. 
Now I'm not going to ask him to testify anything. But somebody told me that during the worship last week he started crying. I'm not even going to ask him if that is true because I don't want to embarrass him. And when he was driving home, he told his parents something to the fact that I freaked him out. Is that what you said? Yeah. What happened to him? This little boy, eight years old, what happened to him? He had an encounter with God. And you cannot have an encounter with God at any time without it affecting your life, without experiencing a higher of money. Otherwise, all this worship, otherwise all this coming to these meetings comes for nothing if you don't really understand that God is in your midst and that you are touched by him and you are changed by him. And not just here, over that too. We go to mass and I'm telling you, most of us find it the most boring thing we do in our lives. We look at the homily or we listen to the homily and we think that is the most boring thing in our lives. The moment you walk through that door, you should feel the presence of God because he's there really in the blessed sacrament. And when the priest lifts it up, every time we should have this experience that this young boy had. And if we don't, I'll tell you why. It's because we don't know who God is. We don't understand how holy, holy, holy God is. And now I want to talk about fear. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories that I've told you before. But these stories, I'm going to tell you this time, I want you to listen to again because the insight that you're going to get is new. First story is from Mark chapter 4. Jesus told the apostles one day, let us go over the other side, to the other side of the river. They get into this boat. Jesus goes off to sleep and a storm hits. The apostles are afraid. You can imagine how frightened they are. Even though they are fishermen, they are frightened by the storm because it is so severe. Many of us are frightened of the storms in our lives. Then they wake up Jesus, okay? And Jesus gets up and he says, why are you afraid? He puts his hand out at the storm and says, be still. And immediately the storm quietens. Now, what do you think the apostles feel now? Think about it. Relieved? Wow, there was a storm that almost capsized us, but Jesus has still the storm. Do you think they were happy? What do you think they felt? They were terrified. They were not reassured. They were not at peace. They were terrified. Formerly they were afraid. Now they are terrified. Why? Because they realize that the person standing in front of them who has power to calm nature is not someone human at all. He has to be someone divine. And they know that looking at the face of someone who is divine will cause them to burn. Let me tell you one more story. This is from Luke 5. And whenever I do my discipleship retreats, I teach this story. Peter has spent the whole night fishing. And he's not caught anything. 
Jesus is there preaching and he sees Peter. Peter is looking very disgruntled. People is look, Peter is looking very unhappy. And he says to Peter, let's go fishing again. Peter doesn't want to go, but something in his heart says, okay, let's go fishing again, even though I've spent the entire night fishing and caught nothing. And this time when he throws his nets, he catches so many fish, his nets begin to break. What do you think Peter feels? Happy? You see miracles all your lives. You feel happy? You know what Peter felt? He was terrified. He got down on his knees and said, please stay away from me. Because he too knew that if he looked upon the face of God and this man standing in front of him was definitely not human, he would burn to a cinder. Has anyone, anyone here ever felt terrified being in the presence of God? I want you to think about this. Why? Because you're so bold and you're so strong and you're so tough or maybe you're so holy that the holiness of God doesn't frighten the daylights out of you. Are you listening to me, church? Isaiah, in the passage I just read out to you, he saw the face of God he heard the angels singing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. And he broke. He says, woe to me. I am ruined. Some translations speak about undone instead of ruined. And I can just imagine all of Isaiah unraveling because he realizes his entire life has been filled with deceit. His entire life has been a sham. His entire life was second hand. Here in front of God, there are no pretensions. And he said, woe to me, I am ruined. And then he speaks about how his mouth is unclean. And then he speaks about how his people's mouths are unclean. And I wondered, why mouth? And then I remember Jesus' words when he said, it is not what goes into you that makes you who you are, but what comes out of you because that reflects what comes out of your heart. And you know, when I read this passage, I said, woe to me because my mouth is unclean and woe to me because my people's mouths are unclean. Fear. Nobody talks about fear in the church. You will not hear anybody preach a sermon like this which is why I am glad you are here because here at least one time somebody will tell you what you need to hear and what you need to hear is God is holy. I'm not done frightening you. Sorry. But I know it's a good thing because there are more of you this week than were last week. Same thing happened in Sharjah. And yesterday the place was packed. How many of you know who Aaron is? The brother of Moses, okay. He was a high priest and he had two sons who also used to serve as priests in the temple. Their names were Nadab and Abihu. Now I want you to listen to this story very carefully. Are you listening? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their senses, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized 
fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. That's it. No appeals. No higher court. Not even time to plead for mercy. They were executed right there, right then by God. I want you to think about this, please. So Aaron runs to Moses. What happened? These guys were serving God. They were offering sacrifice to him. They were burning incense to him. And Moses said, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, among those who come in front of me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And right now, even as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about how it applies to us that when we approach God with our sinfulness, and when I talk of sinfulness, I'm talking of deliberate sinfulness. God understands weakness, okay? Deliberate sinfulness, what are we doing but disrespecting our God? Let me tell you another story, okay? Are you getting frightened? Don't worry about it, it's all good. Have you heard of a guy called Uzzah? Probably not, okay? Now, this, you'll find this story in 1 Chronicles 13. David had just become king, and he wanted the tabernacle returned to its rightful place. So listen to what happened. They moved the ark of God from Abinabad's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Our God. The God you believe in. Instant execution. And you might say this is an Old Testament God. The New Testament God is very different. Let me tell you a story from the New Testament. You'll find this in Acts chapter 5. The early church is growing. It's just being established. Everyone comes together. Everyone sells what they have so that they can share it with the poor. There is a guy called Barnabas who sells his entire field and gives all the money to the apostles and everyone starts to praise him and everyone says what a wonderful guy he is. In fact, his name was Joseph. They changed it to Barnabas because he was the son of encouragement. Now there were two other people over there, Ananias and Sapphira. They were a husband and wife couple. Now they heard about what happened to Barnabas. They said, let's also sell our fields and give the money to the apostles and everyone will praise us like they're praising Barnabas. 
So they sold their fields, got the money. But when it came time for them to give the money to the apostles, you know what happened to them? They said, this is too much money to give the apostles. We'll give them a little bit of the money, but we'll keep most of it to ourselves. Everybody with me? So Ananas goes to Peter with whatever he's decided to take with him. And he says to Peter, yeah, this is what we got from the sale of our fields. And he thinks now Peter is going to tap him on the shoulder and say, wow, what a generous soul you are. Peter says, is this all you got from the sales of the fields? And Ananas should have heard the warning note in the words. But he is on his own trip and he says, yes, this is all I got. You know what happened to him? Instant execution. So people come and take his body out and then his wife walks in from the other door. She doesn't know what has happened. So she goes to Peter and she thinks Peter is going to pat her on the back and say, well done. But instead, Peter says to her, is this what you got from the sales of your fields? And she said, yes. And I don't even need to tell you what happened to her. Shocking, no? No one ever told you these stories before, have they? Why? Haven't they told you that? Because they're afraid you will not come back to listen to the word of God. I'm not afraid. You know why I'm not afraid? Because I want to take you home. And I believe like, like these boys here, look at the kids who have joined us here today. There are many, many kids here. And I'm impressed. And you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to remind you of the things that I spoke about here in this church today. They're going to remind you because they're going to remember these stories forever and their lives are going to be very different from our lives have been because they will understand the holiness of God, which we never did. Now you have to ask the question, why did God do this? Why was God so ruthless? Why was he so unmerciful? Listen to me very carefully. God is the most merciful, compassionate being in this entire universe. I'm going to repeat that. God is the most merciful, forgiving, compassionate, loving being in the entire universe. Think of the times you have sinned today, today, just in the last few hours. You're still alive, aren't you? Why? Because God is merciful. He could have struck you dead right then and there. On those few occasions when we see God exercising judgment, it shocks us because we're simply not prepared for it. We don't understand it. Now when you think of that and when you realize that, you realize, my goodness me, I've been taking every single thing I've been doing for granted. I sin shamelessly, shamelessly, mindlessly, day in and day out, day in and day out, 
Because I think my God is this important character who's not going to do anything to me because his heart is simply too filled with forgiveness and mercy and love. Not true. Not true. Yes, he is forgiving and he's loving and he's merciful. But don't make the mistake of taking him for granted and don't make the mistake of pushing him and testing him because that is what we do. The holiness of God. And Isaiah cried, woe to me. I cry, woe to me. I am undone. I am unraveled. So many of us here are being unraveled right now. I can feel it. I saw it happening last week, but today I can see it in your eyes that you're coming apart, that you're looking at your lives and you're, and you're saying, my God, my God, my God, thank you, Lord, for not nuking me. That is what it means to come apart in the face of God. And then all you can do is say, me, I have unclean mouth, Lord. The things I say, the things I think, the things I feel, the things I do are all sinful, Lord. And, and I'm sorry, Lord. And then you know what God does? And this is the beauty of God. He doesn't wait another moment. He tells the seraphim, go set him right. And the seraphim takes a burning ember and places it on the mouth of Isaiah. The most tender part of the human body. And I can just imagine Isaiah crying, shouting, screaming in pain. But then you know what happens? Immediately the wound is cauterized and he is healed and God restores him. And that is the beauty of our faith. That is the beauty of our God. That this holy God doesn't want to frighten you. He wants to save you. He wants you to understand his tremendous love. And even as you tell God, woe to me, I am of unclean lips, God says, I accept you're accepting your condition and I make everything right. And that is what you're going to feel now. God is going to touch you with his spirit at this very moment. And you will see that whatever happened all this time, all the fear, all the discomfort, all the pain even, all just disappears. Being surpassed by the tremendous love of God. Are you listening to me? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Nothing happens unless you understand how holy, holy, holy God really is. Once again, I want to say something before I lead you into worship. I preached a lot of nice things last year. Most of this year too. I preached things that made you smile and made you laugh and made you feel good about your God and about your faith. It made you leave here with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. That hasn't changed. What I preached about God then remains the truth even today. But I think in the middle of all that mercy and love, we've forgotten that our God is also a God of justice. And when he comes again, and he is coming again, he is coming 
to judge us, not to extend mercy. And if we don't hear these truths now, we truly are in danger of being cast out into the darkness where there is no return. So if I preach hard stuff to you, things that you might not like to hear, it is because I care for you and I care for your families. I care for all those you love. And what point would there be if I were to give you all these wonderful sermons that you hear everywhere and finally one day in heaven, you're not there. I would have failed. And God would ask me, you had the responsibility of preaching the truth to your brothers and sisters, but you just gave them bromides like everybody else. Many years ago, I had a spiritual director. His name was Father John. He was the parish priest over here. And he was a very wise man. And one day, the homily was Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. You know how Jesus went at them, you know? He kind of lashed at them and said, woe to you, you know, you lying bunch of hypocrites and you this and you that. And I knew this guy, this priest, he was, he was very tough. You know, at least he was tough with me. And I thought he's gonna deliver a wonderful sermon. He delivered the most insipid sermon you could imagine. It was bland, it was without power at all, and I can say this because he's a friend of mine. When I came out, I, I, I used to spend time with him after the talks, and I was sitting with him, and we were discussing the sermon, and this time he came out, this is why Jesus said this, and this is why Jesus said that, and, and he took off, and I went, wow, why didn't you say that in church? You know what he said to me? He said, if I said that in church, nobody would come to church at all. This is why you don't hear people preaching powerful sermons in the church that you go to. Because you won't show up. You will simply say he's too harsh. Or he's too strong. This is the truth. And you need to open your heart to what the truth is. Because the truth will set you free. You want to see what the truth does to you now? Worship team. I want you to take a minute in silence. Just close your eyes and just be with God. Just be with God and talk to him. Talk to him about what you just heard. Talk to him about your fear. Talk to him about the fact you didn't like anything that was spoken tonight. Ask him why he said these words to you. Ask him if there's any untruth to them. And if there is any untruth, reveal it to you now, today, before you leave. Ask him why he did what he did with Uzzah. 
Uzzah acted in good faith. He wanted to stop the ark from hitting the ground. Ask him why he would strike down somebody who just wanted to help. And maybe as you ask him, he will tell you. People sometimes forget how holy I am. I'm holy, holy, holy. The Ark of the Covenant was sacred. What temerity did Uzzah have to believe? That his hand was holier than the ground. The ground has never sinned against me. But man has. You need to understand my holiness. Because if you don't understand that, there will be no respect. There will only be a familiarity with me as you call me a friend and a father without realizing that I'm God Almighty. It is only when you realize my holiness will you become holy people. Will you realize that you are set apart? Will you realize that you can live godly lives because I've enabled it through my spirit? These words have made you come undone. But not to destroy you, but to remake you, to rebuild you. And as you worship me here today, understanding the very ground that you stand on is holy because of my presence, you will see what happens when you worship. You will not need to ask me for any favors because I know what you need. You will feel my glory in this place and this glory will bless you. This glory will flood your soul. This glory will fill the emptiness in your heart. This glory will help you to get everything that you need. Feel the glory here tonight. As you truly come before me. Understanding that I am holy, holy, holy God Almighty. Let's all stand up gently, keep your eyes closed. And let's prepare ourselves to hear the sound of heaven that is right here in our midst. Hear the sound. It's like the sound of many waters. It all comes from the throne of God who's here in our midst. Leave your mind out of it now and let your heart take over. Just know, know that He who is holy, holy, holy Lord Almighty is here.
doesn't matter if you don't sing. I want you to just close your eyes and see God in front of you. And don't worry. He's not going to strike you dead. He's going to bless you because He wants to do that more than anything else tonight. He wants to remake you. He wants to flood your soul. Let's sing. about is true if we say that God is in the midst of his people when two or three are gathered in his name if that is true then we should be able to feel him we should be able to experience him we should want to break down in tears we should want to sob we should want to weep we should want to tremble but that is not something that we can bring upon ourselves it is something we allow God to do if we recognize that He is truly with us. So let us worship Him truly from the depths of our being, crying out like the seraphim did, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Let's start all over again. Can you hear the sound of heaven? And close your eyes. Close your eyes. And experience God here tonight. Adoration. There are cries of 
that you make all things new. Thank you for the new heaven and the new earth. We believe it has begun here tonight and we believe we will walk in power and might, confidence, courage, strength for the rest of our lives. Thank you for being the God you are. Father God, Almighty God, also Praise the Lord. Thank you guys. 
next week is going to be really good. It's the um, culmination of this talk. I promise I'm not going to shout as much as I did this week and the week before because it's not needed anymore. But I want us to come prepared for the most awesome outpouring of God's Spirit we have ever experienced. An outpouring that will really do something. You know, we run out of time and we need to close, but I just want to share a little bit of testimony with you. I've been in ministry for 14 years now and um, it's been a wonderful journey. It's been very blessed, very anointed and relatively holy. When I say relatively holy, there were a couple of areas in my life that, that were not entirely surrendered to God and I thought it was okay. I thought it was all right. But I realized that a holy God would not condone anything that wasn't right, not even the smallest thing. And like the prophet Isaiah, you know, his story was very much like my story. I felt myself come undone when I read that. I felt myself ruined. And I actually said, woe to me, Lord, I, I deserve to perish. And instantly, he restored me, instantly. But it didn't come from faking it. It didn't come from saying, okay, God is gonna excuse this also like he's excused me in the past. You just tell God, this is it, and I'm done with it. And you will not believe the kind of blessings and power that has started flowing in my ministry not only my ministry and my family and in my personal life since then. And so what I'm telling you is that that is all you need to do is to basically do what I did. Because we can live lives of power. We're amazing people with an amazing God. And that is what I want for you. But it doesn't happen if I were to smile at you and tell you this. I know it wouldn't. Because I've spent the last year doing that. And you know what, nothing's changed. But I know now people are changing. You know, people normally testify about my talks. People write in and say, good talk. But after last week's talk, you'll be surprised how many people took the time to personally message me and say that talk impacted my life like no other talk you've ever given has impacted my life before. So I realize that sometimes tough talk is necessary. And I don't apologize for it. I never will apologize for it. Because for me, my goal is to make sure all of us get there. At what point, if I make you feel good about yourself yet, you're not good for all eternity. Know what I'm saying? So I know that you understand, and I hope that you're all blessed for it, and I hope to see all of you next week with your friends. Before I conclude, I just want to thank one person in particular, two people in particular. We've started a new mission in India which is in Hindi, you know, so far all our preaching has been in English. But lately God has been saying, you guys have so many people in the ministry that can speak other languages. So two weeks ago we sent uh, two of our brothers to North India, to Ranchi and places neighboring, and one of them is here in our midst, and I'd like us to put our hands together for Sanju, please.
very quickly, I want to introduce this brother. Uh, I'm not give, going to give you the mic, sorry, not today, but uh, yeah. He didn't know Christ till about four years ago. And four years ago, he came to Jesus. And in the last four years, he's done amazing things, including bring his family, his mother, his father, and uh, brothers and sisters to knowledge of Christ, who they've all become Christian last year. And I got an invitation to preach in North India. And I said, why use a translator when we have so many people who know Jesus here? So I sent him and another brother, Anup. Anup's a single father. He has two children, two young children. And uh, he said yes without hesitation. And my brother Sanju has a wife and a young baby. And he also said yes without hesitation. And they touched thousands of youngsters' lives. And I really want to thank you for that. There was a priest at the retreat. I'm going to end with this, I promise you. But you need to hear this. There was a priest at the retreat and he gave this young man and his friend a hard time in the beginning, you know. Because they're young people, you know, four years in the Lord. What are they going to teach anybody? Uh, Actually, this is not a young priest. He's about to become a priest. And the day before yesterday was his ordination. And after the ordination, it was time for him to make a speech And he told the other priests who have been there that they've been priests for so long. And how many people had they brought to Jesus? But he said, here is a young man, only four years, and God had already brought so many to him. This place was close to being packed before we stopped our meetings. I want this place packed again. And this is your way of getting people to Jesus. Bring them here. Let them hear the word. Let them be touched by it. Let them be moved by it. So I want you to really do, forget about getting non-Christians like this brother did. Bring Christian brothers and sisters and let them hear the truth. Because I don't think anyone is getting to listen to it. Okay? Promise me. Invite at least 10 people. If they don't come, that's all right. But at least do the invitation part of it. Will you do that? Please? Why? Because of the third thing mentioned in the Bible. There is no time left. There is really no time left. Jesus could walk in right here, right now. And I want all of us to be ready for his coming. So proud of you. for listening to this coverage. We hope it has blessed you. For more great content, visit our website www.hsiweb.org and kindly consider supporting the work we do. God bless you.